Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is part two of episode 43 with John Ronson. I hope you enjoyed the first half. He's one of the most fascinating guys and interesting dudes. As you will have heard, his book then blew me away and was actually weirdly important in my career, memories-wise, I mean. It was my first ever at Glastonbury and it was raining and I ended up sitting in my 1987 Toyota Space Cruiser feeling kind of guilty about the fact that I wasn't out there partying, but reading this amazing book. Um, so yeah, it was great to have him on. I have to mention again, I know I've mentioned it previously and you're going to have adverts dr- dropped in and out all over the place, but these are people who sponsor us and support the show and this is how we keep it free for you. So please support and help them out. Squarespace on it, you know, we've had, had, had loads. And of course, Speech Development Records, that's my a record label. You can head to speechdevelopmentrecords.com to buy general merch, DVDs, all sorts of stuff. The Edinburgh Fringe show where John Ronson um, and his, his his son Joel came along to. And as far as I know, thoroughly enjoyed, you can get that. Also, there's exclusive Distraction Pieces merch, but it's not even just in the normal uh, web store because I wanted it hidden from everyone who isn't a regular listener. So it's at teamfreew.distractionpiecespodcast.com. You have to go to a secret portal to support that. So thank you very much. Um, yeah. Let's go on with part two. Eh? He continues with the story of the uh, of the superhero, and it's fascinating. All of it's it's fascinating. So yeah, I'll be back at the end. So until then, this is Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode forty three, part two, with John Ronson. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Pieces. This piece of fiction is. The and now that shortly has gone and we'll continue now Hello. um so yeah we're back um how was that with a superhero then in that let's, um, let's, let's, let's literally have left a, a cliffhanger and continue yeah. on from in part two this was the last i mean unless you count um being screamed at by thousands of people on twitter dangerous yeah. this was the last dangerous thing that i that i yeah. did um, and I sort of thought I'm going to retire from doing really dangerous things because yeah. this was fucking terrifying. So uh, where was it? Uh, it was about Sorry. three years ago, right? And I was in Seattle with this real life superhero called Felix Jones, <laughs> who's who you know goes out every night to try and thwart crime. Yeah, uh, costumed or very costumed, very costumed. Yeah, black and Bizarre. gold, amazing. Um, uh, with like bulletproof vest and wow. mask. He's been unmasked now. Oh, wow. Uh, but he hadn't been unmasked when I was with him. So his real name's Ben Foda. Right. Uh, but nobody knew that at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the problem with Phoenix was that unlike the cops, unlike some cops, mm-hmm. when he got really frustrated when there wasn't any crime to thwart... Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, it was like he was a little bit too in love with thwarting crime. Yeah, yeah, that's not good. And when I was with him, there was very little crime to thwart. At one point, he saw these two men talking and one drops something on the ground and and Phoenix went, uh, Yahtzee! And started running towards them thinking it was like a drug deal. Uh, And then he got to the guys, he goes, what did you drop on the ground, sir? And the guy said, some pretzels. So that like, Phoenix was like really frustrated yeah, and disappointed yeah, that it was yeah. pretzels and not crack. Just too yeah. up for some trouble. Yeah. And then we broke up a gang of crack addicts. 
at a bus stop. Yeah. S- these, you know, sad, tired-looking people at four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Phoenix and his fellow superheroes were, like, standing a little distance off, whispering to each other, and the crack addicts were looking back at them and thinking, what are these guys saying to each other? What's going on? Yeah, and do you know what they were actually saying to each other? Oh. One of them said to the other... I love your colour scheme. I love I love the black and gold. <laughs> it's why we can't have real superheroes. It's just not it's just it's never gonna be for the right reasons and in the right ways. Yeah. It's bizarre. You're right, thank you very much. Uh, I got the I got this done specially made. I took you know a costume here. So it's like, they've done a beautiful job. The gold the gold really pops. Amazing. <laughs> Someone actually said those words, the gold really pops. Amazing. So so then the crack addicts scattered. Hmm. Um, and that made me feel terrible, actually, that, yeah. you know, these poor people. I mean, there was like, this was four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. There was, like, no one around. It's like, leaving yeah. the fuck alone, you know? So... Yeah, it's a difference, isn't it? It's, 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 it's again, a crime that isn't a crime against anyone else other than themselves, essentially. Yeah. So it's a, it's, it it's a felt- sad... It's, it's weird that it's a criminal act. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I felt. Yeah, I just felt. I felt very bad for them, and I felt yeah. like Phoenix was just like interfering in their just lives. Hassling, and, yeah. yeah, hassling. Yeah, um, like like dogs chasing a fox. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but then what happened was on the last night, Phoenix was like so frustrated that I hadn't seen any proper action. He decided to go to. He was going to take me to Belltown. Yeah. So I didn't know anything about Belltown. You know, I'm not from Seattle. I was going to say, yeah. do you think? Your presence influenced it much, which yeah, clearly yeah, did the fact that it, that, that that want to prove to a journalist that look we do tough stuff. Yeah, this was a big story for them. It was like a big story in American GQ, and sure enough, it became like a big story. Yeah. It, went, it went viral and stuff. Yeah. It was for American GQ, so we go to Belltown at like three in the morning, and there's about thirty crack because i thought okay crack you know we broke up a gang of crack addicts that wasn't scary mm. now we're going to break up a gang of crack dealers that's not going to be scary <laughs> forgot that like crack addicts and crack dealers are two very different very people. different worlds yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, so we got to Belton, and there's like 30 people staring at us and um, saying not unreasonably what the fuck are you doing here? Yeah. Coming into our community in your yeah. stupid costume. Yeah, I do not appreciate the colour scheme. And yeah, exactly. The gold does not pop for me. Yeah. And then one of them said to Phoenix, you know, how you feed your family is not how we feed our family. Yeah. This may be fun and games to you, but it's not fun and games to us. Damn. So what I was doing, of course, was nodding, in, you know, nodding in agreement with everything the crack dealers were saying in the hope that if the shooting started, they'd, like, considerately shoot around me. Uh, And then they said, their their specific words were, if you stay around on our block, we're going to show you what the burner do. Mm. So I'm like, I'm sure I remember from the wire that a burner is a stolen mobile phone, but that doesn't sound contextually right. No. So then they... Then they walked away and I said to Phoenix, what's a burner? And Phoenix said, it's a gun. Yeah. So then one of them comes round, like they're all standing at the top of the road and then one of them comes round and walks past us. And I can't remember his exact words, but as he carries on walking, he basically says, if you don't leave our block now, we're going to kill you. And then just circled round and goes back to the, to the group. 
um, Phoenix was like, are we staying or are we leaving? And Phoenix's fellow superhero said, we're staying. And then to make things worse... Damn, that's yeah, not the words you wanted to hear at that no, point, was really it? No, really not. Uh, to make things even worse, there was a parked car right next to us with a cigarette packet under the windscreen wiper. Hmm. And Phoenix said, that's a sign that crack is sold here. So what I'm going to do is take the cigarette packet and rip it up and put it on the floor. So that's what he did. So then they all started walking towards us. Yeah. Like about, I don't know, 15, 20 people. And, you know, they had their hands down their sweatpants. Um, and then as they got to us, they said to Phoenix, are you, are you, willi- are you really willing to die for this shit? Hmm. And Phoenix said something like, yes, I am, sir. And they said, well, if you're going to, if you're really willing to die for this, I guess we're going to have to go home. We should shoot you, but we're going to go home. And then they oh, all wow. left. Yeah, they all left. Damn. Yeah. Oh, oh, what reasonable and controlled crack dealers. Weren't they? The fact that they asked, are you really willing to, to, to die for this as well? I think, again, yeah. is um, as much of a, a great, um, I don't know, insight into the fact that these are humans. As you said, they're feeding mm. their families. They're not actually out there thinking, I want to kill everyone in sight. Yeah. Or, or necessarily. They're like, well, you know. Uh, it, was an, it, was an, it was an amazing thing to witness. I mean, s- like, really frightening at the time, but yeah. really an incredible thing to witness. Uh, Phoenix said, so they all departed. Um, Phoenix said, we're going to stay around here for the next hour or so to consolidate the block. Do you want to wait with us? And I said, no, I do not. (laughs) I'm (laughs) done, thank you. Yeah, so I went back to the hotel. And as I got into my hotel room, my my knees buckled and I I had to sort of hold onto a table to keep myself up. I can imagine. Yeah. Intense. Phoenix was so... Then Phoenix phoned me about an hour or two later and he was sounding so hyper. Yeah. He was so hyper because of everything. I think it was all like... Yeah. You know, it was all... that The adrenaline was just going crazy with him. Yeah, of course. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow, what an ex- experience. Yeah. What- but as I got back to my hotel, it was like five in the morning when I got back to my hotel and I did think to myself, you know, I'm, I'm too old for this now. Yeah. It's like, you know, I must have been, it's about three years ago, so I was like kind of, you know, 44, 45, yeah. and I just thought, you know, I, I can't do this anymore. Can't be doing this. Yeah. And and, uh, and such an odd, a, a weird s- a situation, I'd imagine you become frozen in it essentially because yeah. i'd imagine there would be a thought at points of do i stick around and like when they're saying mm. are you willing to die for this or mm. wanting to put your hand up and go excuse I'm me not. i'm not <laughs> um so i'll just die yeah. dr- dr- over here you know <laughs> so, so again an amazing thing there to, to to stick through that and then yeah 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 and then leave but there was nothing i mean you know there was nothing brave in my behaviour because I had no idea that this was... Was going to go there. Yeah, that this is what Phoenix was taking me into. Yeah. I had no that's, idea. That's crazy. Um, let's talk about uh, the many Derek Goats because that was... Mm. I, I read that enthusiastically after them and loved it as, as well. Thank you. Um, how was that? That was, was looking heavily into the bizarreness of the military industry, essentially, and the the the... The paranormal, area, or I don't know, yeah, there's, yeah the, the 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 research into paranormal powers, or just yeah, yeah, we we stumbled on it um, by incredible good fortune, actually. Yeah. Uh, after two years of really 
flailing around, not knowing what the fuck to do. After them, Channel 4, because I made a documentary series to go with yeah, them called yeah. Secret Rulers of the World, and Channel 4 said something that like, no one's ever said to me before or after, which was, uh, here's like a whole load of money. Like, they liked Secret Rulers yeah. of the World. Here's like, you know, like £400,000. Go and make us like three or four more films similar to Secret Rulers. Wow. Yeah, and I was like, you know, I don't know. I, um, I've got no ideas, you mm. know, um, I, don't, I don't know. And my producer, Fenton, was like, um, you know, this people never, you know, channels never do this. You have yeah, to take the money. you've got to take this. Yeah. It's a weird a thing, right, when you're like, well, it's nice of you. Yeah. But, but I don't know what... And it could fail. Yeah. And, it, and it nearly failed, like really nearly failed. Yeah. Um, in Channel 4's eyes, I think it kind of did fail because right. what happened was, um, so we spent some of the money trying to prove that uh, George Bush's grandfather, Prescott Bush, had grave robbed Geronimo's grave and stolen his skull. Right, Which, Amazing. by the way, when he was like a World War One yeah. soldier, which, by the way, might be true. That yeah. might be true. Yeah. But we, I couldn't find a way of proving it. Couldn't couldn't prove find, it. So we spent a whole bunch of money failing to do that. And then a few <laughs> other stories that we tried to do and failed to do. Yeah. And I was starting to really panic. Uh, you see, that's a weird thing, and I've had experience of this on with different... Uh, when I've been in talks with different TV ch- channels about things, is... I don't believe that failing to prove something means a failed project. Mm. And again, there's yeah. a, there's always that need with TV and production companies that there has to be the resolution at the end. I think often it can be, well, here's the journey we've gone on, and we've not. There's not a there's not a nice tidy. Yeah. Here's the summation. Here's and because I think that's that can be as important in 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 research in all sorts of things as as having this clean tidy. Right, we've solved that problem. Onto the next one, like yeah. in, in 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 non-fiction, you know, it's in fiction. Obviously, you need that, but in non-fiction, I think it's can be a beautiful thing to just go on that journey and and do what you can. Yeah, I guess. I, yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, but we were still f- fucking up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so then my producer at the time, John Sargent, said, "Why don't we do remote viewing?" and Remote viewing was this thing that people already knew. People had known this for about six or seven years at that point, that the CIA had a team of secret psychic spies that were inside some room at some army base trying to be psychic. Um, And the reason why people knew is because this this guy called Jim Schnabler brought out a book called Remote Viewing. And so my my instinct was like, well, someone's already done this story. Um, But... But I don't know what the fuck to do. And Channel 4 massively running out of patience with us. So... Yeah, so we'll give it a we'll try. something, yeah. Yeah, so I went to meet a couple of the remote viewers, uh, Joe McMonagall and Ed Dames and one mm-hmm. or two others. Um, and I've got to say, I wasn't really enthusiastic about it. It was like, A, someone had already done the story, and B... They don't, their lives sound amazing, secret psychic spies working for the US military, but actually they were just really, sitting in a fucking room. in the room thinking. Yeah, yeah, sitting in a room fucking thinking and sketching shit down. And it was boring. <laughs> yeah. And um, there it, was... It a, probably felt like a solid paragraph yeah, rather than... Yeah, exactly. A full, you know. There was some fun to be had with, yeah. like, this sort of fantasy of what it imag- what you imagine being a kind of black op psychic spy is, you yeah. know, versus the reality, which was that they had no coffee machine. And, you know, yeah. so there was some fun to be had that. But I couldn't think where to go after that. 
um, but and then so I was sort of like at a really low ebb, and then we were interviewing this guy, and this has definitely been like the best interview of well, like the interview that that opened up more doors than any other interview that I've ever done. Right. So I was in Las Vegas interviewing this guy called Ray Hyman, yeah. who's like a sceptic and a ma- magician, and his whole thing is like debunking the paranormal. Mm-hmm. And we knew that he had been brought in by the CIA to, ad- to um, assess the psychics, because yeah. they were wondering whether to carry on with the programme or yeah. shutting it yeah. down. So I was interviewing Ray Hyman, and about halfway through the interview, I just said to him, you know, when you were, like, assessing the psychic spies and you were, like, inside the CIA, you didn't happen to notice, like, anything else going on, did you? And this sort of look crossed his face, a sort of twinkle, and he went, yeah. He said there was this uh, general called uh, Stubblebine who thought he was, like, a major general in charge of, like, tens of thousands of soldiers, and he thought he could burst clouds just by pointing at them. And, he said, and there was this colonel, this lieutenant colonel called Channon, who was training his soldiers to eat only nuts and grains for a month. And he said, but I can't remember anything else. So, so, so at the end Suddenly, of the interview, yeah, yeah, I thought, OK, we've got these two names now, Stubblebine and Channon. And the whole fucking bizarre ministerial goat story. Yeah. Then trying to kill goats just by staring at them. And yeah. all of the shit. General Stubblebine trying to walk through his wall and just bumping his yeah. nose. Yeah. All of that came from like me then saying to John Sargent at the end of the interview, let's try and find Stubblebine and Channon. We've got these two names. Yeah. So that was, so that one question... You know, just opened did, it all just up. Just opened up fucking, you know, that there was the whole, that the, the George Clooney movie and yeah. the book, all of that came from me just asking Ray Hammond that one question. Yeah, amazing. And yeah. did you have much involvement in, in the movie? No. Um, Peter Strawn, who I've subsequently become really good friends with, he wrote yeah. the screenplay. Yeah. And it was his screenplay that got everyone interested. That got them involved, yeah. yeah. I mean, I know some people like the movie, some people don't, but what's what's beyond doubt is Peter is a brilliant, brilliant screenwriter. He's just, yeah. He just did Wolf Hall, you know, the, yeah. the, the TV yeah, adaptation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, he's so brilliant and people loved his screenplay. And, yeah. and, and I wrote Frank with him. Yeah. We co-wrote Frank together. So... Did you see, that's what I've enjoyed with both yeah. the many Sir Wolfs, uh, 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 Goats, uh, sorry, yeah. and Frank, is yeah. neither have been what I was expecting at all. Mm-hmm. I thoroughly enjoyed them, but they've, they've, they've neither like having read the book and then watching the film. I was like, "All right, that wasn't yeah. what I thought it was going to be for some reason." And Frank was the same. I went in expecting something, and it was a film I thoroughly enjoyed. But I was sitting the whole time thinking, "This isn't what I thought it was going to be." Yeah. <laughs> this isn't what I thought it was going to be at Nor all. Me actually. I yeah. mean, I, I definitely wrote um, a more sort of broad comedy. I'd yeah. say. Than Lenny, than the way Lenny directed it. Lenny yeah. made it much more sort of melancholy. And, yeah, yeah. Um, Lenny was really influenced, I think, by like Scandinavian directors and yeah. that guy whose name I can't remember, um, which means I was probably sexually abused by him. Probably, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the guy who did Leningrad Cowboys Go America. I can't remember his name. Can't think, no. Yeah. But like sort of, you know, absurdist art comedy yeah yeah so lenny brought all of that sort of feel to the film which a lot yeah. of people really love yeah yeah um, i thought it was great i loved yeah, that whole side I, of I it, really and the, it. The, the tone of it and, mm. but again as i said in many ways i wish i'd watched it having no knowledge of who frank sidebottom was and mm. do you know what i mean the amount of almost baggage i brought with me yeah you know made me have to fight 
to enjoy it as much as I did, if you know what I mean. Do you know what I mean? I don't mean yeah. that in a bad way at all. No, it was I, very I, enjoyable. I, but I it was totally really know what you mean. Of... To- well, I've got to say, I mean, that was a thing with me. It was like how much, like, if you don't mention that this film is inspired by yeah. Frank Sidebottom, you're doing his, his, his memory and his legacy a disservice. Yeah. But if you mention it too much, people are going to get, like, the wrong idea. They're expecting of, it to be a... To film a about Barbara, Frank Sidebottom, yeah. yeah. So it was a difficult position, actually. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. really strongly felt that, that to sort of... To sort of deny that this film was inspired by Frank Sidebottom yeah. would be a really, you know, poor thing to do. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I made completely. a big effort, like, to, to constantly remind people that this film, yeah. you know, isn't a biopic, but wouldn't it exist if it wasn't for Frank Sidebottom? Yeah, 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 of course. But I think, but it's true, like, like, like you said, I think it kind of gave people the wrong idea yeah, yeah. Um, about the film, but... You know, you make up your own rules as you go along, yeah, your own sort yeah, of moral completely. rules. And, no, and that was my that was my there's moral no guidebook. Rule. Yeah. Um, well, let's. I mean, can we talk a little bit about the psychopath test? Um, and there's a specific part that I started to quote in a previous podcast. Uh. Couldn't really remember the details well enough, so I vaguely went into it. But it was the bit we were talking about the um, TV shows like your Jeremy Carls or whatever, oh, yeah. and the the level of mental illness, essentially, that they look for, the, me- the the particular types of medication that they look for. Yeah. So can you talk oh, about that? Bit, because I mean, that was, was just fascinating. So it was, it's an, it was an informal idea that a researcher, for, a guest booker for one of these shows had, yeah. one called Scarlett, um, Charlotte, sorry. She, and she doesn't work for those shows anymore, and she's, she's in a way a kind of whistleblower now. Mm. So this wasn't like formal policy. Yeah, it wasn't, here's the policy, right. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, was, yeah. it was but, her thing. But what it was was that she had this special trick that she would utilise when deciding which guests to book, and it was that she would ask them what medication they were on. And if it was like a sort of scary-sounding medication like lithium, I mean, this is very yeah, unscientific. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, she said, well, I wouldn't want to have them on the show, because what you don't want is them to go on the show and then go off and kill themselves mm-hmm. she said but if it's if it was a great story you know like a far-reaching family drama yeah. where like generations of a family hate each other and are going to scream at each other on tv even if they are on lithium you know you're still gonna have them on yeah yeah <laughs> you'll still give that a go yeah and she said sometimes they do fuck up like one time this is such a chilling story she said one time they did this show about the world's craziest bod- bodybuilders yeah um and so she had this this guy on who um, was a you know a crazy bodybuilder, and then after the show, he phoned her up, and while he was on the phone to her, he, he slit his wrists. Oh wow! Yeah, which is another reason. Going back to what we talked about before, Rachel Dolezal, it's like you know, you when you're monkeying around with people's lives, they're real humans. They're and, real humans. Yeah. You don't know about this woman. You know, you don't know if it's body dysmorphia, which is what this guy had. Right. Yeah. You know, he was he had body dysmorphia. I mean, the 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 most chilling example of that was i found was in the book which is a story i didn't know of the the tv the makeover show in america yeah um can yeah, you well, tell again i'm sure you'll tell that better than me god you know i haven't told that story since the book came out so i don't remember all of the details but it was a similar story about this yeah, girl. It was, it was basically it was um off, off, off from my memory of it it was a makeover show where they were going to make a beautiful they were gonna, it's, it's a plastic surgery type thing so they have yes. they pay for plastic surgery turn you into this god person. you're right and, and then and and, and, but it didn't fit the schedule of the show so yeah, she never got the plastic it. surgery and then she watches all of like a mother so she and got her shown, sister and again the the mother and sister because i looked into the case more after it the mother and sister maintained that they were coaxed by the production company to be more yeah well just, it was always embarrassing having her you know because she looks so so different and all that and kind of 
to over-egg it because the reality is they're getting thousands of pounds worth of plastic surgery for her. It's this seemingly mm-hmm. beautiful thing in their minds. And then so she saw they had the bit where she watches or, you know, yeah. watches everyone saying how, how hideous ugly she, she is. Was. And then it didn't fit the schedule, so she didn't get... It wasn't... She wasn't going to be using the series, therefore didn't get the plastic surgery. That's right. And then the sister... Am I right in... I mean, my memory isn't great, but am I right in thinking that then the sister, the one who said... Um, you know, my sister's so ugly, I can't yeah. wait for her to get the past surgery. She killed herself, or, or did the girl kill herself? I thought it was the girl had killed herself. Well, and, I remember and, and, one of the two yeah, sisters killed themselves. In, 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 in my remembering of the story, which, again, we can link to um, yeah. on Acast, is that um, sh- she killed herself and then the mum and the sister were rallying against the production yeah. company because they're saying, look, this is... Because essentially you've got her nearest and dearest mm. to slag her off talk about all her uh, uh, imperfections yeah. and then not did the, and then the not resolution do the, bit yeah. not do the bit where you turn them into a beautiful princess because you leave they realised the that the plastic surgery would take such. yeah because the, cause the plastic surgery was going to take a couple of weeks and they only had like a week in the budget yeah, yeah. yeah that's right so, so, so to, but to finish um, Charlotte's story yeah. so if they were on a medication like a fun-sounding medication like Prozac, yeah. that's perfect. Then they're perfect because they're likely to be have an entertaining and then, yeah, episode not, as such. She said you don't episode in the yeah, episode. She said you don't want real exploitation. You want smoke and mirrors exploitation, which is something I, I over and over again. You know, I, I noticed that. It's that yeah. I think it's the reason why. I think it's the reason why we demonise people on social media so much. Is because you know we call them, you know. Rachel Dolezal, well, she's, she's obviously a psychopath. It's like, you know, people use those words because they're dehumanising words. You want Because yeah. you don't want real exploitation, you want smoke and mirrors exploitation. Yeah. You yeah. want to destroy people but not feel bad about it. Yeah, yeah, completely. We did, um, mm. um, I had a podcast um, out last week where it was kind of exactly about that, the, the, the humanising of the dehumanised. I yeah. sat down and spoke to um, a, a refugee who's had an amazing story and a hideous um, experience in the UK as well as in the uh, Democratic Republic of Congo. But in this day and age, with the recent elections and all that, it's become such a thing that just there's just immigrants and there's illegal immigrants and there's this and that and there's not actual humans there. And Mm. the point of that, I think, and again, I think that's something particularly with social networking because even when it is individual humans they're behind some kind of screen and guys so you don't feel that association and it's something again people say stuff on social media that they would never say to someone in real life or to their face and it's that weird thing of getting that that distance from everyone yeah the drone strike operator doesn't need to feel responsible for the village that yeah. is just blown up. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, uh, you know, and obviously some people deserve it more than more than others. I mean, yeah. you know, no two transgressions are of the same level of severity. Yep. But true, true, I think, true. Yeah, but I think the problem is that, you know, when destruction is the knee-jerk response to any transgression, yeah. you know, it's, it's a problem. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, w- I will start to wrap things up shortly... Just quickly, as we've only just touched on the psychopath test, mm-hmm. uh, uh, really, can you kind of say why that became an interest for you and what your uh, uh, what your feeling was at the end of it? Because mm-hmm. again, br- briefly, there's a test, a series of questions to define yeah whether if, someone's a psychopath, whether, whether or not you're a psychopath. And I did the course, yeah, um, 
and became just drunk with my psychopath spotting powers. You just find them everywhere. Find them everywhere. <laughs> uh, and then luckily, I mean, I'm cutting a it's long a story short. thing yeah. as well, because I found again in reading it that it's one of them things that there's probably a, one or two things in that checklist that most people will register for. Yeah. But where you've now become... Man's so akin stim- to it, yeah. you're then noticing that one thing and assuming the rest. Like, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Or you can then assume that they're covering up a certain amount and this and that. Yeah. Man's need for stimulation, proneness to boredom. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but there is a line in the book where I say, because somebody, you know, a psychiatrist says it to me, uh, if you're worried that you may be a psychopath, that means you're not one. Yeah. Because they never worry about it. Because what's there to worry about? It's a pleasant feeling, <laughs> mental disorder. You see, forgetting that now... Um, makes me concerned that at the start of the first episode, I was saying, you know, I had some feelings of it. I wasn't particularly worried about it. I kind <laughs> no, of felt no. like, all oh, right, great. That really, that flags me as... Yeah, as, definitely as, as, a as tr- psychopath. Definitely a psychopath. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, so then, you know, I, I got, I just got mired in my psychopath spotting abilities. Yes. I would spot psychopaths everywhere. I remember there was, at the time, there was a woman on Twitter who was like causing me some some trouble a bit stalkery and I was a bit alarmed by it mm. and I and I talked to like an eminent psychiatrist um who, who's like involved in the psychopath field yeah and I told him like a couple of just a couple of things about this woman and he went definitely a psychopath no question definitely and and I said yeah definitely <laughs> and she's not. She's scary, a personally, yeah. she's a delightful young lady. You know, that's scary, nothing. isn't it? How quickly that can be. And this was somebody with the power of diagnosis. I mean, yeah. ov- obviously, he was saying this to me informally in an interview yeah. situation, and he wasn't about to have her locked up. Yeah. But nonetheless, that's indicative, right? Thing, of, yeah, completely. And yeah, I don't put any of that in the book, by the way. But, yeah. but that's when I began to feel fuck you know yeah. it may be you know maybe having this power can turn you a bit psychopathic yeah, a th- a, another thing that really made me instantly um dr- dr- drawn into the psychopath test was and my favorite film of all time is harvey mm. uh with a, a jimmy stewart and i think it's so it's bizarrely becomes so relevant again in today's society because it's essentially about the overdiagnosis. Mm. Of, of of anything, of saying, right, he's just of, of slight differences and, you know, saying that because that person's different, therefore they're, they should be locked up or they should be medicated. And there was a lot of, of fascinating stuff towards the start of the over-medication, particularly of children in America. Of Yeah, of, girls of, as young as two and three are getting diagnosed. It's not happening quite so much now because somebody, you know, because there were deaths. Yeah. But it took deaths. You know, getting diagnosed as bipolar yeah. because they had temper tantrums, and yeah, that's, that's two on the and checklist. Three and it's like, well, yeah, and it's, it was Honestly, amazing though, how big the book had become of different things that you can be diagnosed for. Again, yeah, that was just fascinating. It's like eight hundred eighty-six pages uh, was was DSM four, DSM five. Wow. I think is even bigger actually. Of different things that yeah. can mean you're yeah. you're wrong. So many, that's you know, crazy, arithmetic learning disorder. Um, a new really bad one. So they got rid of childhood bipolar disorder. Yeah. Actually, childhood bipolar Again, disorder... I guess it, 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 it yeah. all keeps a looping back to that point of wanting to to to, to dehumanise or or, or, yeah. or or label something. And label again, someone. I thought also it was a great point when you were saying it's easier for the parents at points to rather mm. than say, oh, Johnny's a bit naughty. It's like, oh, Johnny's got this, this, this. Because yeah. then it takes the responsibility off of them and i'm not saying the responsibility should be on them but do you know what i mean it alleviates, yeah. alleviates some kind of guilt of i've done something wrong here to 
Mm. I'm allowing them to be a naughty kid or an overexcited or struggle with arithmetic or you know anything else. So I mean, I mean, I totally agree with you. At the same time, I think one shouldn't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Right. One shouldn't suffer from throwing out the baby with the bathwater disorder. Yeah. 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 I, I, you know, I, oh, I still maintain that some, you know, labellings and diagnoses can can yeah. help, you know, yeah. um, and med- some medications help some people in some situations. Yeah. So I'm not going all Ardy Lang here, but I, I did really notice that there were really extreme. Same with this new book, actually. You know, people take really extreme positions on this subject. Yeah. Um, it's like if you don't believe... I mean, I'm being a bit extreme here in what yeah, I'm about yeah, to say, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but, you know, I got this sort of sense that if you don't believe in the DSM, you're like a, you're like a Scientologist, you're like a right. crazy yeah, 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 yeah. mental illness denier. Yeah. Um, and then on the other side, like the, the mental illness deniers will say there's no such thing as an anxiety disorder. Yeah. It's just not true. Yeah. You know, and, and obviously the fact is, you know, the truth lies in the middle. Yeah. In, I mean, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the unfashionable grey area. It's fascinating because the argument I always hear tends to be that you don't have depression in mm. tribes, you know, or, 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 or in, in whatever, in these, in these less developed worlds, there's no such thing as all the different depressions and anxieties and whatever that we have. But it's like, but that's, because they're they're very different societies. Mm. If if that is the case, it's because they're very different societies. Yeah. So in, it, that do, doesn't mean it's not real. Yeah, that means it's something that has has been a product of of how we live. We shouldn't just ignore stuff because it's a product of how we live. The mm. rise in cancer is a product of how we live. That shouldn't mean we say ah oh, ignore it. Then right. it's, it's a product yes. of our society. It's like yeah, and it yeah. that that sucks. But it you know it needs to be addressed and helped and. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, people have delusions, people hallucinate, people hear voices. Yeah. Depression overwhelms some people's lives. Uh, anxiety overwhelms some people's lives, no question. But at the same time, you know, there's definitely a fetish for over-labelling and over-diagnosing yeah. and people are making money out of, you know, the over-medicating of, yeah. of, of children. And, and then I think it can become such a strange, strange battle of of almost a battle to to wear the badge or to own the badge at points. Mm. And just things that I've seen of people I know who, for example, have ADD, will then be very, and quite rightfully at points, annoyed that that's become just a saying now. Or I'm a bit yeah. OCD. Yeah. Bit, is that one, well, that one you, annoys me in particular. Are, are yeah. you, Does you it massively OCD? affect the yeah. quality of your life? I'm, I'm a bit OCD yeah. or I'm a bit, a bit, and things like that. It's those weird things that have become such a part of our lexicon yeah. now that it's, it's a casual... Th- a thrown in thing but then equally mm. i find it can be um a strange thing to, to f- i don't know to be like well no i'm not it, it sounds odd but it feels like a, a, a certain hipster element of well no i'm real i'm i've had ocd for you know i had ocd before it was, was you know, <laughs> and, 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 and i mean i think there's some strange a level of that of as well of then having that um i don't know over not over pride because i don't think any of these things should be associated with shame or pride. I don't think that's that's mm. that's the situation. But you know, I don't know. There's some. There's, there feels something strange there that, that it can then become an issue that it's now become a badge of identity for that person, yeah. and therefore is restrictive 
in that manner because yeah. they have to fight their own corner constantly to say no I really yeah, yeah, have this and yeah. yeah it's true I did this I did it this. becomes self-perpetuating in, yeah. in that manner that yeah and that's why I did this podcast in New York recently called Lit Up by yeah. this, uh, it's, it was good and it was funny but I, I remember at one point um, you know I mentioned my anxiety disorder and a woman interviewed me Emily Gold Wait, oh you've got anxiety okay I'm just ticking a, a mark off your privilege uh, you know, it's like you're not quite as privileged as I thought you were then yeah, if you've got yeah, anxiety. Yeah, 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 and she was yeah. joking, but it's kind of true, right? Yeah, it's like, yeah. yeah, it's kind of true. It's bizarre. Well, I mean, we're, we're, we've done two now, so we should, I should let you go and, and wind things up. Um, let's end with a what's ahead and what's, and what's to plan. And okay. then I'm going to really end with a where can people come and argue with you online. But let's, <laughs> let's go with what's ahead for now. OK, well, right now... And what are you working on? Um, I've ju- I'm doing a rewrite on a movie, which is the first time I've ever done that. Um, awesome. This brilliant South Korean director, Bong Joon-ho, was a fan of Frank, so he's got me to rewrite his film um, called Okja. It's fascinating... A, yeah. a world, the world of the writer and, and, and the rewriter, and something it's that totally we don't really know as, as, yeah. as film watchers or film goers that s- so many scripts will get rewrites, will get torn apart, even up to the point where they're being filmed, yeah. will be r- r- ripped apart, rewritten, restructured. Absolutely. It's a fascinating it's yeah, a totally it's a process new world that we kind of me. ignore. But yeah, yeah, totally new world for me. I didn't like, like when he asked me to do it, like I met him at a hotel in New York, and you know, I said to him, Look, you know, I have, I have limitations yeah. like a i've never done this job before yeah. i have no idea whether i can do it well b i'm like i'm good at dialogue and i'm good at comedy but i'm not good at like massive or well, i don't feel confident that, to say that i'm good at, i'm good at like massive plot twists and right. narrative arcs and so on uh, but they offer me the job anyway and i think i've done it rather well i'm, I'm pleased uh, with it have you enjoyed it because yeah, it must be massively. a fascinating thing to get it's like someone the... else's work to, to yeah to to I loved it actually, Cause, exactly because you have to like you have to get inside his head because it's his script. You know, he wrote the first draft. Much of the hard work is already done. Yeah. You've got to like, but he's South Korean and English isn't his first language, so you know it's it's more stilted mm. for that reason than it would have been. But has the most brilliant. I mean, it's fucking good, and, and yeah. has the most awesome. brilliant plot twists and yeah. narrative arcs and so on. So what you have to do then is like get inside his head. And sort of, this is like a terrible American word that proves I've been in America for three years. Yeah. Kind of honour, honour right. his yeah, vision, yeah, 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 for yeah. want of a better phrase. Whilst at the same time adding your own dialogue, changing yeah. the characters, you know, but not but not sort of dishonouring what yeah. he's done. So it's almost like doing like a cover version. You know, yeah. I felt like I was doing a cover version yeah. of his script. And, I mean, and I, I loved that, fucking loved the process. It's fascinating because it's... it's really if you look back at our conversation it's the ideal situation where Mm. (coughs) when channel four came to you and said here's some money and you're like i've not really got any ideas at the moment the fact is we know and you've proven over many years that you can write Mm. you're a very good 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 writer so the beauty of then going well here's here's what we need written essentially can you now structure that and or or adjust it and make it better that's yeah, it must be so exciting. Oh god, I loved it. I, yeah. I just loved it, and and it was easy, and and such a breath of fresh air actually after like after you know the shamed book tour, which was like twelve weeks of really intense, yeah, really intense stuff. So there's that, and then in the summer, um, me and Joel, my son, are going off to Los Angeles for all of July, and Joel's going to be doing some like podcast, amazing work, and I'm gonna. Um, 
I'm going to write a script on spec. When I was at Sundance with Frank, Peter, my co-writer Peter Strawn, reminded me that when we were writing Frank, we had this other idea too. Um, and I'd completely forgotten that we had this other idea. Right. But then Peter reminded me of what it was. All right, and I've written, get that done. Yeah, so I wrote about 60 pages and sent it to Peter and Peter gave me a couple of ideas and, and uh, now I'm up to about 90 pages yeah. and I'm going to spend the summer, you know, just, just working on that, completely That's on spec, great. like no one's waiting for it, no one's expecting it. That's awesome though. Yeah. That must be a nice... Yeah, again, that's really nice. Self-imposed pressure, but it's also the freedom to go, right, let's really allow this. For 12 weeks, like, we're shamed. Like, in many countries, in Britain, Ireland, America, Canada, it was like, you know... I'd have a schedule, like, 7 yeah. in the morning, you've got to be here, like, 8, you've got to be here. And, I, and it was quite often, like, like, 16 hours a day. So I'm really looking forward to just working at my own pace for yeah. for a few months. Have you spent a lot of t- a, a, a time in LA in the past? Yeah. It- um, I mean, not not like this, like, not yeah. like a month, like yeah. we're going to do, but lots of, like, weeks here and, here and there. Yeah. I really like it. I, I really romanticise LA. I, I think yeah, it's, like, like, it's like it. a I, magical place. For, for, for my first chunk of vidgets i didn't like it at all i was like mm-hmm. i don't get it i don't yeah. understand it's and did you too feel much. like isolated i felt bit. isolated i felt completely out of my comfort yeah. zone i felt it, it wasn't for me and then now when i go out there and i'm working with people on records and staying with friends i, mm-hmm. I, I love it now it's, yeah. it's it's a wonderful place when you're in I, that right headspace and you and you, or you kind of understand it yeah, I feel exactly the same way. In fact, I, me and Joel actually were there a couple of weeks ago, yeah. and I went and we were staying at the very first hotel I ever stayed at in LA, which yeah. was the Hyatt in on Sunset in West right. Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. And I remember the first time I stayed, I was probably about kind of twenty two, twenty three, and I was completely on my own. I can't remember what I was doing in LA, but I was completely alone. I didn't know anyone in LA, yeah. and I remember walking up to the ceiling. Uh, to, the, to the roof terrace of yeah. the Hyatt and looking and like in all four directions all you could see is like a sort of sea of lights yeah. like this city as far as the eye can see I remember thinking I have never felt so lonely yeah. In, yeah. in my life and, and I think a lot of people have that experience in LA yeah. but now now that I know people and I know like my favourite places like I love you know hiking on Runyon Canyon yeah. and in Griffith Park and and Lost Feelers and, a lot of times it's yeah oh, I love of Runyon view, isn't it the great thing about Runyon, especially if you've got like an anxiety disorder, is that there's only one. There's only one way to go. Yeah, yeah, it's all the way up and round again. Yeah, you, so you're not yeah. like, fuck, am I on the wrong? Tra- is there a better trail? Am I going to yeah. get lost? Am I on the wrong trail? It's like you can't go wrong. I mean, actually, it can go wrong because I was actually I was actually <laughs> hiking on Runyon with Emmy the Great last right. summer, and the guy up in front of us died. Oh wow! Yeah, so it can to, go wrong. Yeah, that's, that's as be, wrong as it can go. Yeah, right? and had to be lifted like his body was lifted, wow. on, on, winched on a Jeez. helicopter. And you know what everyone was doing? Not me and Emmy taking photographs for Instagram. Were. Of course they were. It's insane. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Runyon is is an Instagram filter in itself, really, <laughs> yeah, isn't it? It's, yeah, I've exactly. seen so many. Pi- everyone I know who lives in LA has posted yeah. at least a picture of Runyon. But yeah, yeah. But not not the body not being of winched. someone being w- yeah. a, a winched off and carried away. Yeah. Man, that's that's, that's that was bleak. really bad. It was a particularly hot, particularly hot day. Yeah, um, take water. Yeah, well, you can. There's an honesty box. Yeah, pay a dollar, get some water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, sometimes, so one time, like I only had five dollars. So I put the $5 in the box and just took $1. That's good of you. And I thought, well, another time, then I'll just take a water for free. Yeah. But I was I was nervous about that. <laughs> so what I did was I took cool. a water. Like, like the people around me didn't know that, like, previously I yeah, put in five. Yeah, exactly. So I pretended to put a nice. dollar in the box. You I did the a, action. You got a, 
cover that up yeah. just for public perception. You yeah. don't want a public shaming, no, obviously. Um, so where can people keep up with you online? Is Twitter your preferred uh, yeah, social network not on website? Facebook. Anything like that? Facebook's just like an outlet. Yeah, I've got a website. My website is johnronson.com yep. without any H's, just J-O-N, johnronson.com. Yep. And my Twitter's John Ronson. Perfect. Well, thank you very much. It's been an absolute delight. Scrooby, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for having me. Let's go and uh, and, and, and wreck your mini bar. <laughs> You've been listening to Scrooby's Pits. There we go. I honestly feel that we could have just talked forever and ever and ever. A fascinating dude with so many stories and we barely scratched the surface. After we turned off, I talked to him for a good fair while after that and actually ended up doing... um, his son's podcast, Joel. So um, keep an eye out for that. He's he's coming into the podcast in a a world. He's a lovely lad. I believe he's going to be interning with Mark Marin in July, I think. So talk about starting out at the top and learning from the best. So yeah, exciting stuff ahead for him, I'm sure. Thank you for tuning in. Please subscribe and all that good stuff. Please tell your friends how awesome this podcast is because we're growing and growing and it's all down to you which is just lovely so thank you very much for that we're going to be back next week with the wonderful mr flux pavilion um great if you're not familiar with flux amazing producer um dubstep guy he did a remix of our oh no he didn't do a remix he he co-produced gold teeth with me and dan lasac um i'm actually recording this intro just after getting back from recording the podcast with him and it was amazing it was fascinating i love it when we have ones where it's such a specific area like electronic production but it was one again and i felt this with part one of the dan hardy podcast that whether you're into this or not it's a fascinating listen you know it's an engaging it's all also applicable everything we discussed felt very applicable across many different genres areas or trades so yeah Hope you'll enjoy that. Um, I'm on Twitter at Scroobius Pipio and Instagram at Scroobius Pipio and Facebook.com slash Scroobius Pip. Um, a lot of people hit me up because I often say, f- feel free to share your suggestions with who you'd like on the podcast. The best place to do that is on Twitter. And the best way to do that is to tag the person that you're requesting. Because again, p- people seem to have this illusion that I've got a magic black a book of famous people um, and can hit anyone up. A lot of people on here, either I just happen to know or I hit up via Twitter. So it certainly helps if there's someone that you want on. If you tweet me and tag them in, then, you know, if it's someone I think would fit. And again, I hope people don't be offended if I don't go for your ideas. I try and pick people that I think I can get a good interview out of. It doesn't mean they're not good or I don't like them or you're wrong for liking them. It has to be people I feel I generally have enough of a knowledge of or enough of a thirst of knowledge to get that information out for you. So, um, yeah, I'm rambling too much now. Thank you for tuning in. See you next week, guys. Hold up. 
The biggest names in tennis are coming to Paris for the most anticipated Roland Garros in years. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled tournament access as the world's top players in tennis face off against each other. Will the veteran champions continue their dominance or will a fresh face emerge to challenge their legacy on the clay courts? Daily live coverage of this epic showdown begins Monday, May 20th. Don't miss a matchup. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens.